Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of ambitious entrepreneurs. Joining me is Andy Belinsky. He is the founder of Lensable. It's a one-stop shop for all things optical online. They'll even... Do you get tired of me being so fascinated by this, Andy? They even let me like do an eye test on their website. And if I want to get lenses for my old glasses, I can get that. And if I wanted contacts from them, I could get that. And if I need um, insurance for my eyes and go see a local doctor and have it covered, they do that. Can you give me a sense of the revenue that you're producing right now at Lensable? How big is the business? We've, uh, we've helped over 100,000 customers with vision care products. Over how many years? About four years. We launched a business in uh, early 2017. Dude, it's freaking impressive. What's the most impressive thing that you do? I, to me, it feels like, are you telling me that I don't have to go see an eye doctor if I want to get glasses or see if I need to wear glasses? Fortunately, we can do a lot of what you you know were used to doing at an eye doctor. Um, not everything. And we still very much think that you should see your eye doctor at least once per year. Uh, make sure that your eyes are healthy. Uh, there are plenty of things that cannot be done online to, to really investigate the, the health of your eyes. But when you think of vision care, the majority of what is related to vision care is materials. Materials are contacts and lenses and frames. Um, traditionally, you used to buy those at the doctor at a retail store. We have created a, a unique business, which is really the, the first category of what we sold. Not something traditionally that you know re optical retail stores or even doctors suggested or marketed. And, and the concept was uh, what we call lens replacement. So to the point you made earlier, you have a frame. It might be a frame you've had for five years. It might be a new frame you just bought at a boutique, maybe on Amazon, even at a garage sale. All right, a cool frame that you found, you know, from from the olden days. Uh, if those, you know, you, you might need new lenses for that frame. Uh, right, your prescription is not going to be uh, in that frame just yet. And traditionally, you would have actually just purchased a a frame with prescription lenses from your doctor or from an optical retail store. Um, but you know, we did not want to have individuals have to limit the points of sale or places you know, that they were able to buy frames from just to those that had prescription solutions. And so we created a, uh, you know, a, a new category, if you will, a new purchase behavior, um, where rather than having to buy a new frame every single time or rather than being limited on the frames you could buy, you could buy a frame from anywhere or reuse the same frame by having us just make new lenses for that frame. Was this just about convenience? Like, is it just to save people the trip to go to the store? Or are we talking about you're able to get a better price because you're doing it online? Yeah, there's there's a few value props. Convenience is, is surely you know one of those pieces. Yep. Um, you know, when you purchase a frame from somewhere else and bring it to a store, oftentimes the store wouldn't make new lenses for it. There's a liability there. Um, you know, they didn't sell it to you. Either they don't want to help you for that reason or, you know, they don't want to take liability of something you bought somewhere else because it is possible that the frame can get damaged or break in that process. Um, so convenience and, I guess, capability is, is surely one. Um, you know, from a price perspective, Lensable is not the cheapest uh, of any vendor in the, in the world online or offline, uh, but we, we are very affordable and, and, you know, I'd say quite a bit less expensive than some of the more, uh, you know, well-known optical retail stores and many doctor's offices. And then I would say from there, you know, prescription eyewear is not a medical device any longer. Well, it, it always will be, but it is not only a medical device. Um, people wear glasses for as an accessory, like shoes, like you know, jewelry. It's a it's a fashion accessory at this point. Um, you know, really, what Warby Parker helped uh, democratize was you know you should have lots of frames because we can make the same quality of frame for a whole lot lower price. Uh, and so now people have 
you know, kind of taken that lead and, and are buying lots of frames that they wear with different outfits or things like that. And so, you know, the uh, frame that you've got for you know your daytime outfit might maybe should have sunglass lenses in it. And yep. you need a different frame for, you know, reading lenses at the end of the day or when you're staring at your computer for blue light. And so or when Snapchat comes out with new lenses and you want them to be prescription, you're the company that has the deal with them to put we that are. in. All right. I get we I get are. where you are. You told our producer the idea for doing something like this haunted you from the time that you worked for Hot Look. This was the member only, I think, um, flash sale site, right? You were noticing a trend there of what was selling, and that put the idea for Lensable in your head. What did you notice when you were there? Yeah, so it's not quite that, actually, uh, but the the story mm-hmm. does begin there. Um, I ran business development at Hot Look uh, early part of 2009. And, you know, Holdick was a flash sale site that you saw brands, whether they were apparel accessories brands, sell, um, you know, flash sales for overstock or extra product uh, in, you know, two to three day sales, 80% discount. Uh, that was a way for brands to liquidate and, you know, buyers to now get access to really great products. The emergence of accessories brands that I noticed that I had never heard of before um, and how much demand there were for some of those, specifically in the eyewear space. Um, frame brands I hadn't heard of were doing, you know, sizable sales over two to three day periods on Holt Look. And I was through that process. I got the idea that, you know, I, there was a accessories brand that I could create. I didn't know if it was going to be an eyewear. Um, but really what else could it have been if not eyewear? What else were you seeing that was, that was, uh, you know, jewelry hats, you know, belts, you name it. Accessories were something that, you know, have very high perceived value. Um, Uh. the costs are not necessarily that extensive. And so that, provided me the idea or the opportunity along with a set of relationships in the flash sale space that I had that were just unique uh, that I could have created a brand and sold it through these third-party sites pretty well pretty quickly um, versus having to worry about building my own direct-to-consumer audience and so that was the first idea for it Uh, that led to actually starting an eyewear brand which for the first year was run primarily through the flash sale sites Um, fortunately had quite a bit of success it was really right along the time when Warby Parker was gaining some notoriety. We decided to take that concept and try it ourselves. And so removed our brand from the flash sale site, sold it direct to consumer, added the prescription lens uh, aspect. And then really the idea for Lensable came through the course of about three and a half years building that brand where we, uh, we sold prescription lenses on top as an add-on product. So we didn't have, a, we didn't have enough cool tech to let you buy the frame and the lens in one, in one shot. And because we did that, customers would come to us and they'd say, I love the lenses you just made for me for really inexpensive price. I have a pair of Ray-Ban frames or a pair of Warby Parker frames or a 30-year-old frame that got passed down from generations in my family. Uh, I need new lenses. Can I send them to you? And we were a brand. So we, of course, turned those you know inquiries down. But a version of that inquiry kind of kept coming. And it, of course, set a light bulb off to us that uh, there was a pain point that customers had in the in the prescription lens space, which is very different from frames and very different from contacts. Um, maybe it was a cost pain point. Maybe it was a where do I get lenses for these old frames that I've got pain point. Um, all of that kind of over time led us to the first version of Lensable or the first category, which was this lens replacement service, um, which of course has come you know quite quite full circle since then. But that really was how how the initial idea started. Why didn't you start your accessories business while you were at Halt Look? Was that going to be a, a conflict of interest? It sure would have been. It would have been. Absolutely. Because you're competing against the other companies in there. All right. So you you filed this away. You said this makes sense. You then, you the company was sold to Nordstrom. 
I think it's now considered Nordstrom Rack whenever I go to the site. That's where I get redirected. Sure. You stayed through the sale? Uh, I did for about six months. As employee number six, did you do well financially from the sale? You know, as employee number six sounds great. Uh, being a 23-year-old without too much knowledge about how uh, how equity works and all that stuff, I can't say there was uh, any any real life-changing opportunities for me coming from, uh, you know, coming what out of that. What did you learn? That a great learning experience. So if somebody is now in their early 20s listening to us and saying, I've got an opportunity to work at a startup, I want to learn from Andy's experience, what what can we pass on to them when they're Ooh, taking a job at a startup? Lock in your equity on uh, your option grants on, on day one. Uh, you what know, do you look, mean by lock I, in? Make sure that that is part of your employment agreement or your offer. Ah, um, you're saying I mean, you didn't even uh, get yeah. options. You didn't get options, didn't get equity of the company. Yeah, you so, were just salary. You know, I think the things are Listen, 2009 was was very very early in uh, in you know startups. I mean, it was still the way that people think about startups today. 2009 was incredibly early, so there, I don't think you know young individuals were sophisticated because there wasn't that much uh, that much to learn from at that point. Um, today, you know, it's almost par for the course, at least from the startups that I've worked at, started myself or invested in that, uh, you know, really all the early stage employees and even later stage, but, but definitely the, you know, first 50 or a hundred employees are all, uh, you know, option holders, uh, as just kind of par for the mm -hmm. course on compensation. So it's probably not a, uh, a concern that many people will run into these days, but 11, 12 years ago, um, you know, wasn't quite the same. Okay. You then went on and you created chirp ads. Was this like this was funded by by science, the accelerator, or was it owned by science, or what was the deal both. with science and both? So yeah, science is a really really cool, great company uh, based out of Santa Monica uh, here mm -hmm. in California. They you know the, they've tra transferred kind of ideas many many times since I was there, but originally they were a uh, you know an incubator of sorts, a fund and an incubator, and so as part of the incubator the kind of centralized group of individuals there would come up with business ideas. Um, some of those were brand new ideas from scratch. Some of those were, you know, ancillary businesses to some very successful non within the incubator businesses. And uh, there was an idea for mobile advertising business that uh, the, the partners at Science came up with. Um, you know, the model at that point was they would create the general business idea and strategy. There were some centralized resources, tech, accounting, legal, um, that they would put to, to really craft the initial pieces of the business. And then they would go out and look to hire, you know, presidents or CEOs, sometimes co-CEOs to take, you know, maybe a 10% of the way their idea and really bring it to, you know, the rest of the 90% and uh, then operate it. Um, and so I was hired to, uh, to come in as a co-CEO of, of, of Chirp Ads at the time. What was Chirp Ads? I'm guessing from the name Chirp, it had something to do with Twitter. But when I went back to look for old references to it, I couldn't find the page. I couldn't find anything. Chirp Ads was a native mobile advertising network. And what that actually means, uh, when most people think of you know mobile ads, they think of in-app or in-game. A lot of it was gaming-based. So we were actually looking at the mobile web. Um, and you know, mobile web ad inventory was very much... Uh, low budge at the time. It was not being monetized by by big publishers. They were getting tons of mobile ad traffic, but there were not good ad units, not good designs, not you know good kind of technology that sat in between the ad world and the publishers. And so what we did 
is we actually built a, an SDK, um, software development kit that we would work with publishers to, you know, basically build ad units that looked native and native is very much what you think of when you think of Facebook ads, they look like posts. So let's take ESPN.com for example, and there is a, you know, a list of, uh, headlines for the day and it's small, you know, kind of maybe, you know, a half an inch height, um, little, you know, with boundary, with, with, uh, with some grid lines around it. And we would actually, rather than, we, we would build an ad unit that fit directly into the, um, you know, ESPN.com homepage that looked just like the headline above it, but was actually an ad. And then we would go out and work with advertisers who were looking to, you know, be on those sites. Yeah. Um, and so then we did that with, you know, hundreds of other websites uh, after that. Okay, I'm with you. What happened to the business? It seems to make total sense. Native ads that feel like they're part of the site. What happened? Yeah, uh, the the story there. Um, Science actually had an opportunity. So we were playing outside of the the gaming app space, um, but that was the the biggest space in mobile ads was in in games uh, in app. Uh, and so we were playing outside of it. But that was just more challenging. The majority of the publishers were still thinking about their apps, even if they had a mobile website. Um, and again, in gaming, uh, so in you know in mobile games, um, like Angry Birds, for example, right? That's where the majority of, of action was happening in this world. Science had an opportunity to actually acquire uh, a pretty sizable mobile gaming network out of San Francisco called Playhaven, and uh, so they did. And then you know that was kind of a that was an upgrade for the concept at least and the opportunity. And so what happened there was we actually, uh, you know, kind of shifted what Chirp Ads was working on to kind of bring the team into the Playhaven world. Uh, and so we started, you know, basically focusing on the Playhaven business at the time. Mm -hmm. And so basically you know, they said it's in gaming where advertising. So is going to be really big. Why do we have this smaller bet on everything yeah. except for gaming? Let's roll them in and they get to make that decision because they essentially, they own the company right that's correct yeah i mean it was you know they they don't get you know they it, it, we were still the the you know ceos of the company and got to decide if that was a uh, strategy we wanted to pursue but it was a great opportunity and it was a very smart savvy move by the science team so uh you know it ended up being advantageous for myself and my my co-ceo equity wise how do you do with a deal like that in the end i'm sorry how, equity wise how do you do with a deal like that in the end we talked about the issue yeah, of not you know, getting every, options every deal is Every deal is done differently, you know, each, you know, there was a, an equity component on the initial business. Um, and, you know, we kind of just looked at the the stock of that and the way that the Playhaven business was purchased. And there was a, you know, kind of a, a transfer of stock from one to the other. And um, it's about as much as I, you know, think I, I'd and like still to pour have the, the, the group with here. But um, we started running. The, I'm sorry. You still have the equity in the business in Playhaven? What happened to Playhaven? It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Playhaven mm -hmm. got sold again. Uh, so first nine months, bought Playhaven, rolled chirp ads into it, ran that business for about a year, and then had an opportunity to sell that business. Um, sold it to a company called RockU up in San Francisco, okay. which was a large Facebook canvas uh, app and game yep. maker. All right. So you get some more experience. Now it's time for you to start your own business, right? Like from scratch with your buddy. How do you guys reconnect and what's that first version that you talked about earlier? We'd actually been running the Ivory Mason frame business alongside uh, everything we just talked about as a side Co-owned it passion as project. a side business. You could, while you were working with, on this yeah. project with science, you create, you helped, I guess he had his own shop, right? Where he was selling frames and you partnered yeah. up with him. You did. Okay. All we right. Did. 
yep. how to yep. do and what was it doing? So the, uh, it was doing great. I mean, it was the idea I mentioned before, you know, we'd, we'd sold frames and, and lenses direct to consumer for, you know, it ended up being about three and a half years. Saw an opportunity in the lens space uh, to really produce a, a new business, a new concept that, you know, had some potentially had some enterprise value. Um, and it was kind of a perfect storm of the second exit of the, the Playhaven business alongside, um, you know, us kind of coming to an agreement on a concept for this first version of Lensable uh, and being able to properly fold the Ivory Mason frame business. Um, which had a nice, you know, cash component along the way, but really was not a uh, an enterprise value building entity. Um, and so that was the middle of 2015. We took the next six months or so to really figure out exactly kind of how we wanted to proceed with lens the first version of Lensable. And beginning of 2016, started started building. Um, and that was, you know, hiring a developer, designing out a site. Uh, building the business, you know, rules and, and concepts. And uh, we ended up raising a little bit of friends and family capital at the beginning of that year to, to help support it um, in advance of a January 2017 launch. When you were selling frames before you got into lenses, what was working for you? How did you get customers to the Shopify store that you set up? Yeah, two, two primary ways outside of the, you know, traditional Facebook ads and, and Google ads. Um, and definitely we were doing, you know, quite a bit of both of those, uh, but the two other ways, and again, we didn't strategize initially stress this, but the first year that we had a pretty sizable flash sale business, meaning we were selling our frames on these third party sites that had millions and millions of customers. Um, we did quite well. We sold a lot of units and we would include a little business card or, you know, a little marketing card in, in each of those shipments that said, we hope you love our frames, right? come back to see more, you know, more options. Here's a 20% discount, come to the site. And I don't want to say we had many, many tens of thousands of customers that did that, but we didn't have uh, just a few thousand that did that. And so we had a, a nice built-in foundational customer base uh, through, you know, that kind of multi-channel or omni-channel um, distribution. Uh, so that was one. And then one thing that Ivory Mason did quite well was actually do, and this was before the influencer world kicked off, but we were uh, maybe ahead of our time. We were doing deals with partnerships with uh, influencers, some people that had big YouTube presences, uh, some you know others that had some kind of blossoming Facebook and Instagram presences, Twitter presences, and it was a variety of different celebrities or, or what you called at that point influencers. And so we got access to their audience and we were probably running one or two of those per month um, for a mm -hmm. fair amount of time. And so those two aspects of, of acquisition or uniqueness are kind of what helped build a, uh, uh, an audience for us. How do you find out about ideas like that? Like working with influencers, is it just you dreaming it up yourself or are you part of a group of friends who are constantly talking about what's working for each other? Yeah, well, you know, th this was back in 2011, 2012. Um, so there really was not much talk about, uh, I think, the influencer idea so much. It was really probably just beginning right around then. Um, I want to say we had an opportunity. We had a, just a mutual friend introduced us to somebody that had a very big YouTube presence. They wore glasses. Uh, and while they were making videos for something completely unrelated to, to eyewear, um, you know, it seemed like the person had great engagement from an audience and 
somebody that we, you know, I guess conceptualized ourselves that they could have a, a frame in a new collection that was named after them, that we could build a royalty, you know, payment system towards them. And that got them very excited and ended up causing them to go organically make lots of videos for us. Um, you know, we had a web presence that promoted them a little bit, but primarily they kind of ran with it and it became a template for us to use, um, you know, further. So maybe we got lucky. I'd say, you know, we were not, uh, you know, super high level thinkers as it related to really creative strategy, but, uh, you know, a little bit of that and a little bit of luck uh, turned into something that, you know, clearly is now a, a very obvious part of a marketing mix for a consumer brand. All right. Before I continue with your story, I, I told you my, my sponsor, one of them is HostGator. Let me ask you this, Andy. If someone were to sign up to HostGator and decide that they want to sell something, maybe an accessory, is there one idea, one thing that you see that still works, that would still be a good uh, area to pursue that hasn't yet been tapped? I kind of like the idea of belts, but you tell me, what do you see that's still hot if someone wants to go and create it and sell it? You know, uh, somebody much smarter than me is going to have to come up with the, the the still, you know, the product that still can be sold that nobody else is doing or that is still hot. <laughs> uh, at this point, you know, I, what, I, what I say about eyewear, um, anyone can make glasses. Right? There's factories overseas. There are distributors here in the U.S. Selling frames is, you know, it's not a it's not a commodity, but it is not you know an incredibly complex thing. Where we have a unique uh, differentiator, and I would say you know expertise at this point is really on the prescription lens um, as well as on the software side. So you can you know making prescription lenses is a custom product for every single product you sell that has a separate supply chain from from frames, um, and you know it requires medical information to be interpreted properly. Oftentimes that medical information is not distributed from the doctor to the patient that we're now working with as our customer. And so you, there are aspects that do not require the doctor, but we've had to build software that, you know, gets the, gets us the information that we need that the doctor wasn't providing the patient. So I, I get that. But what you're saying is if someone, if there are no accessories, there are no little openings where the value is bigger than most people realize, as far as you can tell. I think Amazon yeah. has has captured all the the value on any of those that might have existed. No, nothing that, that of pops them. to mind. I'll tell you the thing that pops to mind for me. You tell me if this makes sense to you. I kind of threw it out in the past, sure. but the more I think about it, the more I, I think it's a great idea. Imagine somebody were to go to HostGator and say, I'm going to start selling spices. You know how McCormick has got basically the market locked on these freaking spices? We all have them in our house. And if it's not that, it's like the Whole Foods 365 nonsense. They don't have any flavors, right? I get the crushed red pepper because I love it on my pizza. I'm a New Yorker at heart. It's not spicy at all. It's nothing. It tastes like like nothing. Imagine someone says, I'm going to build a brand on spices. I go after influencers who are already who are already cooking online anyway. Give them the stuff that feels more authentic, much more flavorful, costs maybe five times as much, but it's worth it because freaking spices is going to stay in your uh, – actually, you know what? Maybe cost five times as much and it's half the size because if you keep it in your shelf forever, it also expires and it doesn't have as much taste. And boom, now you got a brand new area. Do you like that idea for for someone who's going to go and sign up for HostGator or do you think it's not I, working? I think it's brilliant. <clears throat> All right. I think it's brilliant. Maybe I just, Shout out to, uh, to Truff. Truff. It's not a... a a brand that I'm involved in at all, but Truff took what you just described in the hot sauce world and created a beautiful high-end hot sauce product that is uh, primarily pushed by influencers and 
it looks high end and it is sold at a high end price, but they've built a really big business. So there uh, you go. But look, I'm not Indian, but every freaking Indian friend that I have has their own personal spices. A friend of mine who's Indian gave us like these little beautiful tins that they bought with like their grandmother's spices that they put in so that we could have the, the stuff that's flavorful, right? The fact that people are going through that much trouble means there's something there. All right. Listen to me, people. Whether you take that idea or anything else, if you need a website to host it, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you do, they're going to give you the lowest possible price. And they'll take great care of you because HostGator is already low price and my URL is going to get you even lower price. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Go start your site and tell me about it. Okay, I get I get what you're doing. I see that you're finally listening to your customers who come back and say, look, I have these other frames. You keep saying no. They say, come on. They You say no. Well, before you proceed, you do some kind of math. You strike me as a guy who's got, number one, good design sensibility. I keep looking at my freaking hair in the camera as we're talking because everything about you, like that T-shirt looks like it's like a nice T-shirt, even though it looks very casual. The frames behind you look good, right? It seems to me like you're thought out, though, about the business. You're not just saying, we're going to go into the lens business. You do a spreadsheet, some kind of math. What did you notice in the numbers that other people hadn't realized? Yeah, uh, I don't know that it's that other people hadn't realized, but what we did notice is that, uh, you know, the traditional places where a consumer would purchase lenses, right, outside of the, the new sites, the Warby Parkers, the direct-to-consumer -to online sites, um, traditional optical retail stores and optometrist offices, uh, the margin on the lens product that they sell is 99 plus percent. And I hate to break it to those of, uh, of you out there that, you know, maybe thought that you'd been getting a good deal at your traditional optometrist forever. Um, not to say that all of them are, are completely overcharging, but there is surely a, uh, an overcharge of, of materials uh, concept in that world. Um, you know, the same lenses that we sell for 75 bucks, uh, you know, a, a well-known optical retail store might sell for 200 or 250. Identical lens comes from the same manufacturer, same factories same features on them. And why is that? You know, industries all start somewhere. And this industry started at a price point that that, you know, was far higher than uh, where is that today. And so it didn't take, it wasn't that, you know, they, they have, sure, they have store costs, right? There's rent. Um, but building an, an e-commerce business has lots of costs too, right? And you don't just mitigate. I think the idea of, you know, you don't have store locations, right? It mitigates all, all of that. But, you know, what a store could sell, they're selling to a local region only, right? I build an online site. Now I can sell to the whole United States. And so, frankly, what we did on the lens side was we lowered the price. We didn't get better pricing. Our costs were no different. We were willing to take a lower margin, um, by offering a much more competitive price to the consumer because we would be able to over time, and this is, I think, an obvious you know, business concept, make up for it in volume. And so we weren't losing money. We just were maybe not making as much absolute, as many absolute dollars. When, when we started this interview, I suggested that because that's one of the things that I saw online when I looked you up. And you said, we're not the low, the low price option. We're not the lowest you, price option. You're not the lowest, but it's still, you're saying you're lower than the local store. So that's one thing you discovered. The other thing that, yep. the, that the local store, I saw a TechCrunch video that they did where they tested you guys out to see how it worked a, a couple of years ago. You were willing to replace lenses where local stores weren't. Why weren't they willing to take an old pair of glasses, swap out the lenses and charge me the $200 or whatever you said per lens? What did... Well, we're in, why weren't they? Wearing Some that? are, and, and many are not for for that liability reason. So the the lens replacement process 
Um, I mean, think about it. It's, you're basically making a new product from scratch, right? So it goes through, it's in a, fa- a factory and it goes through, you know, a bunch of different machines. Um, and the frame has to go through these machines as well when the lenses are getting put into, into the frames. Um, you know, the potential for breakage, the potential for damage, while it is not high, it is not zero. And if you're, you know, optical retail store X, uh, that has somebody who brings in a $500 frame or a one-of-a-kind frame that you didn't sell them, you can't get again, right? They have a, a sentimental relationship with this frame, the customer. Are you, for the even $200 lenses that you might be able to sell them, are you necessarily going to take that risk? Uh, because what is the policy around that, right? It's just a tough thing to, to manage. Um, and stores individually are not doing hundreds of orders per day, right? They're not necessarily making up for it in volume because they're one individual store. We took a different approach. Um, we have a very low breakage and damage damage rate. I mean, incredibly low, uh, majorly sub 1%. So, you know, the, the end result doesn't really have as much risk as maybe a store might think. But yeah, that's, that's really the reason. Uh, it's just that, you know, th- there is liability there and it's a customer service issue. It's a potential cost issue. Um, you know, we've been able to manage it incredibly well, but I would imagine that that's the reasoning around. And these stores make more money when they sell you frames and lenses together, right? They That's just the, the long and the short of it. So if they tell you they won't do a certain thing, unless there's an, another vendor that will, and there wasn't, so, you know, which is where we stepped in, um, make things e- easier on the consumer. That's really what our goal is. You're saying if you go to a local store, they say, we're not going to do it. There's no other store in the area that's willing to do it. You say, all right, I'll just come back in here and I'll, and I'll buy a new, uh, exactly. New right. It's ser- a, a new frame. Or hopefully these days the customer will go home, they'll Google it and we will pop up yeah. number one on every search they might, might throw out there. Do you think it hurts that the company is called Lensable and there's no E at the end? Is there an E at the end? There is not. But if you type that into Google, you will still make it to lensable.com. I would say the, right. the most expensive thing we had to buy, uh, before we launched other than, you know, employ uh, resources was uh was the lensable with an e url so we do own that and that will still take you to lensable.com and it, it wasn't an, a word right you bet you've you just created it we created it yeah lensable all right um so you're starting to offer it what do you do when the first uh pair of glasses break how do you handle prep how do you handle preparing sorry i keep calling glasses the frame when it does happen what do you do you apologize profusely and you replace it as quickly as possible. And can you if it's like a one of a kind? There are instances where, you know, rare, rare frames or hard to find or ones that were discontinued years ago. Uh, you don't. And you have to trust that the, that the customer tells you, you know, what the price was. Right. There is, of course, terms and conditions that we are not uh, bound to replace. You are to some degree taking a risk. Um, but we don't you know, it's not it's not that ad hoc, right? So we, our lab is an incredibly high quality and, and, you know, has been in business many years. And um, we inspect every single frame when it arrives. Uh, There are some very simple characteristics of a frame to determine if it is going to be at risk. Um, Now, it doesn't mean that you will never break a brand new frame. Of course, anything is possible in a custom product business, but uh, the likelihood of that is incredibly low. Um, so if the frame is at risk, we will communicate to the customer that risk in advance of actually running the job. They can give us a go ahead, which means that they're taking liability or they can say, you know what? I don't want to take the li- I don't want to take the risk. I'd love my, my frame back and we just send it back to them. Um, 
So we've got some terms and conditions and processes around that. Um, are you more, telling me that beyond the terms and conditions that if you break somebody's frame, you'll try to go and find another pair just like it to replace absolutely. it? You will. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good move. That's yeah. elegant. Yeah. Look, you know, look, we're, we're not, we are of course a for-profit business, but, uh, you know, very few consumer businesses are successful when people make one purchase from them over time. Right. So we are all about built. Well, we're all about offering a great service to consumers, but from a business perspective, we're all about longevity, right. And, and long, you know, value that we can get out of the lifetime of a customer, um, them to tell their friends and their family, for them to come back and right, people are going to have new needs for vision care product many times throughout their life. Um, that there is this is not a one-time you know one-time thing, and and we know that, and that was really built into the the kind of brand ethos initially, and the the policies and processes we we put in place. Um, so if we take a hit on the first one, you know, hopefully they feel like we handled it properly, and we'll come back you know many times over. Andy told us how you got into uh, lenses because people kept complaining and asking for, for help with it. What's the next product that you offered and how'd you come up with that? Yeah. So in the year, uh, the year that we were building the lens replacement business, which was what Lensable was supposed to be. Um, we spent a lot of time in, uh, different optical retail stores, physical stores. Frankly, we were trying to, you know, steal ideas, steal, uh, understand their pricing, figure out how we could build a solution that was better. What some customers were complaining about those types of things. Um, which I think is, you know, good for competition. Uh, and you know, we, we really kind of saw a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, look at the, at the beginning, you know, a core issue is we are, you know, building for online, right. We're building to be able to, uh, allow people to purchase these things from, from home or from anywhere and be able to ship nationwide. And so the difference between online and offline was a clear differentiator for us, but there are three core product categories of vision care. Lenses, which is what we were planning to get into. Frames, of course, because the lenses need to go into something. Um, even though the initial business was they will go into an existing frame that you bought elsewhere. Uh, and contact lenses. So, you know, Lensable basically changed its long-term vision. And, and yes, pun intended, uh, lots of vision puns in, in my world. Um, you know, even before we launched that we were going to enter the space, our differentiator was going to be lens replacement. This was a purchase behavior that we were going to bring to market. Um, and even today, you know, there are now competitors, but I, I do strongly believe that Lensable is the, you know, is the leader in this uh, small but quickly growing category. Um, but the obvious, you know, next extensions of, of product were frames and then contacts. Um, and so if you come to Lensable today, uh, we, we do more than just that, but you can replace, replace lenses in existing frames. You can buy a brand new frame, uh, either from a private label brand that we created. It's called Everyday Eyewear by Lensable. Uh, or we now sell lots of well-known brands that, that people see on other online sites, uh, Ray-Ban frames, Oakley frames, uh, Bose audio frames, uh, Arnett, Vogue, Kate Spade, Brooks Brothers, Hugo Boss, you name it. Um, there's a pretty wide variety, Snapchat spectacles, as you mentioned before. Uh, of frames that are available on our site. Um, you know, we also want to be a discovery platform for for new up and coming brands. We sell brands like Westward Leaning and Coco and Breezy and Toms, which a lot of people know about in the shoe world, but not so much in the eyewear space. So, anyways, uh, that was kind of second, and now you know, contact lenses as well. Um, and we, what we really want to be is your one stop shop, right? You're it's the same customer 
And rather than have to have them go to one website or one store for each individual product, we've centralized the ability to purchase all of these in one place and, of course, offer incentive to do so. So there was a big player in the space. What is it called? Luxottica? They are still. Uh, Luxottica right? would, yep, Luxottica still. would be considered the largest you know, uh, frame manufacturer, licensor, and, and you know, uh, optical retail store owner, I believe, in the they own the stores. Like, what are the brands that they that they own or be- basically? Lenscrafters, Lens Sunglass Hut, Pearl Vision, uh, a ton more. But those are the, the three. Ray Ban, they create those sunglasses Ray-Ban, too, Oliver right? Peoples, uh, Oakley, um, Brooks, uh, Vogue, Arnett. Uh, yeah, quite. A bit. How tough was it for you to compete in their world when you got started? Before you started carrying, you their know. Brands? Uh, I don't really think we were competing in their world. I mean, look, we, modern day, 10 years ago, Luxottica dominate. I mean, when I say do, Ray-Ban and Oakley are probably the two largest or most well-known, maybe highest volume selling frame brands in, in eyewear. So, um, you know, that is always that and, and that will continue. Um, but the ability to create a Shopify site and to design and manufacture some frames at a factory um, is, has never been easier. So over the past five or 10 years, I mean, the number of new eyewear brands that we see pop up on a daily basis that you'll get Instagram ads from, or you'll see, you know, on Amazon. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nonstop. So, you know, I, I, we never, and we understood this before we launched the reason that the first idea for Lensable was this lens replacement business is because it was the frame space was saturated. Um, even if the majority of it was happening offline, you know, Warby was dominating online. And then you were starting to see uh, Zenny Eyewear, which is a massive business of very, very low cost um, frames. But, you know, those are frames that people are buying in, in droves. Uh, and there were lots of new sites popping up. So competing in that world. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's an incredibly saturated space. And I think for us, it was taking this different approach. Let's Let's have a reason outside of selling frames or having to build a brand around frames that people come and interact and engage with us, which was lens replacement. And then, of course, we had to get creative on ways to not just say, okay, we sell frames now. Everybody should come and buy them. Um, We had to let people give them reasons that our frames were, you know, were good. We had to have unique lens options around them. We had to have, you know, really good pricing. Uh, We had to have a, you know, when somebody sends their frames to our lab, they're without their frame. Right. So the idea of while their frame was at our lab, you know, their Ray-Ban frame getting new lenses, we had the ability to sell them in advance of them sending that in a really you know, expensive and, uh, and cool looking frame. Um, in the same box, maybe that they're going to be using exactly, to send back their exactly. glasses. Then, you know, the one lenses. thing that I think people understand, although lots of the in, in store, the, the physical retail stores don't really push so much. Um, there's a lot of different lens types, right? So sunglasses, of course, versus eyeglasses. That's a very obvious distinction. Um, but eyeglasses now can have blue light coating, and that's a specific lens. And they can have transition lenses, which is when they're sunglasses outdoors and clear lenses indoors. And so Lensable offered all those types of lenses. And so it, it was on us to kind of create narratives that are truly valuable and helpful to, to consumers that you can have different frames for different parts of your life right? Different lenses, essentially, for different parts of your life. Um, and that was probably going to be what was best for your eyes and the health of your eyes and the protection of your eyes long term, rather than wearing the same lenses, you know, 24 hours a day. Yeah, the blue light thing is, I've heard it just go through company slack like wildfire, where there are a few people yeah. who get it, and it becomes so exciting that people feel so happy to wear these blue lenses. I don't know what the science is behind it, but it makes people feel more comfortable at their screen, and then it goes through the company's yep. slack, and pretty soon the company starts buying these glasses yeah, for everyone. Yeah, that's true. 
It's true. You know, we, we saw that early on again, because we, you know, have been, we've been building businesses off of the computer, uh, for, for a number of years, you know, it it is a real thing. I fatigue, um, rays that are emitted from screens, phone screens, TV screens, primarily computer screens, blue light rays, they are harmful to the eyes. And I am not a, uh, a doctor, so I don't want to give too much medical guidance, but from, you know, everything that I know and that we've seen, um, you know, there is a, a real value in being able to protect yourself from those blue light rays entering your eyes and getting through the lenses into your eyes. And so the idea of blue light lenses is, uh, I mean, anyone who works on a computer looks at their phone or watches TV or an iPad, you know, should be wearing those. They, they not only protect from the blue, ray, blue light rays that are emitted for potential eye health or eye deterioration over time that can, you know, headaches and, uh, and squinting and things of that nature, but also for sleep. So when really bright lights and blue light specifically enters uh, your eyes, it, you know, it, it messes with your sleep and it becomes really difficult for people that are staring at screens before they go to sleep to get into a quick, deep sleep. And so blue light lenses, night lenses, even slightly orange tinted lenses, which can have blue light coating are recommended for different aspects of your life to protect against these things. And um, the average frames, you know, average frame does not have those lenses in them. And so it does become the need to buy a different pair of glasses or get new lenses in uh, an existing frame. All right. I'm going to tell you about my second sponsor. I don't think you know them. It's called Vervo. And then I want to come back and find out how you got that Snapchat deal, because that just is something I kept reading about. And I, I, I imagine it's not a huge deal. But I also know that you're probably not going to tell me how big it is, how many people are you're right, I'm not buying it. But here's the deal with Vervo. Well, when you hire, by the way, Andy, because what Vervo does is it lets you test the people who you're considering before you hire them. Do you do any of that? Absolutely. Lensable? What's your what's your process or yeah, what kind of test do you do for your, the, the, the technology side? For um, so you know that's the yep. It's quite at least we've found it to be pretty easy to be able to to vet individuals through some conversations like this. Uh, you know, on some really non technical parts of the business, but uh, you know, you can you can talk a big game uh, and your you know abilities to to develop product and and build you know create software and and uh, write code. Um, but you know, we do have some tests that we give to new developers that join, join the team and, uh, you know, to really gauge their, their capabilities. And I think that makes so much sense because there's so many ways for people to basically take credit for work that they've done in the past that was actually in collaboration with other people who did most of the work. What Vervo does is it says, we're going to let you test your people. And it doesn't just have to be for developers. It could even be for an assistant customer service person, somebody who's just going to be chatting with your, with your customers. What you could do is you create a test for everyone who's applying for a job. And the test could be with questions that come up throughout the day, or maybe it's even a video. Maybe you say, I've got somebody who's coming into our office right now. Here's what they say. How would you respond? And the person can respond with a text bite with the text answer below. Or maybe you say, here's a video of one of our customers complaining. Now in a video from you, how would you respond? So what you're doing is you have all these different elements to test the people who are applying for work and see their responses. What that allows us to do as people who are hiring is first of all, figure out who really has the skills by giving them uh, work that's directly related to the work that they'll be doing for you. And number two, it allows us to screen people faster so we can hire faster and we could in many ways reduce bias. If you're giving somebody a writing assignment, you want to get a sense of what their writing is and not what they look like. All right. Whether it's for reducing bias, for predicting successes, for hiring faster, or any other reason, if you're looking to test your candidates, if you're looking to have one more screening process that actually, or a screening process that actually works, 
Go to vervo.com slash Mixergy, and Andy, you and everyone listening to me can use it for free. If you use my URL, it's vervo.com slash Mixergy, V-E-R-V-O-E dot com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. I'm grateful to them for sponsoring. Snapchat, how'd you get that? We shared an office. Uh, how'd you get uh, them? Basically, similar office buildings. Kept meeting the team. Um, they caught on that there was a you know a, an optical business uh, that was doing some things in in uh, the prescription lens space, they were creating a new, you know, new frame product. As as most people know, um, this was years ago, and uh, you know, it, it was really a. We were all teams were walking to lunch and and kind of caught wind of each other, and and it really started from there. It was really a, you know, the the Venice, California startup scene. Had a lot of uh, you know, walk on the street and you'll you'll do a deal. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was definitely a thing. So, it was it was just a very lucky by kind of by chance partnership. What's your hangout situation? I remember uh, Mike and uh, Peter who created Science, they used to have these big events where people would go and meet and they basically ran this the SoCal social scene yeah. for a while, SoCal tech social scene. What's your thing? Do you do dinners? Do you do scotch, wine? You know, I think, uh, at this point, I'm just trying to get out of the house. Uh, the last year, you know, we've gone fully remote um, just, over, just over 13 months now, maybe 14 months. Um, so... You know, yep. there, I would say the entire scene has, uh, you know, gone to Twitter and gone to Clubhouse and things like that. Um, but, but yeah, you know, there's, uh, I don't live on the West Side, um, so my scene is a little bit more uh, away from. What did you do before, in the in-person yeah, days? Dinners, what was your thing movie. for staying in touch? Would you just I'm bring from, out people I'm from Los like, Angeles? I mean, for work my family's still here. Connections. So. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, a lot of my friends I grew up with are, are still around. So I try to, I mean, work is an all day, all night thing for me, but I really try to separate. Um, and not that I, I love the, the LA's, you know, the SoCal tech scene, but, um, you know, I think it's important to have balance of things that are unrelated to that, uh, in, in some time that you've got, you know, the move, and I, I'm getting a sense that you're not going to do this. The move is if there are people who you really want to get to know and you want to work with them, get to know them a little better, invite them to your parents' house for dinner. It's like, look, I'm going to go over to my parents' house for dinner Friday night. Come on over. It creates a more like personal connection with them. But I'm sensing from you that you want to keep your work life a little bit separated from your family. And You know, I think there's a right? certain time and place uh, at parents' house for, for certain individuals, for sure. So you have done that. You know what I would do? I... I didn't. I don't think I brought work friends over for dinner with the family here, with my kids and and my wife. But I did with my with my wife. Obviously, we do dinners at the house. The house is a really big one. If you bring people to your house, even if you're bringing pizza in from outside, totally. it creates a bond, a closeness, right? For sure. What else do you do? I. What else did you do in the in the get together in person days? Uh, I golf a lot. So uh, a lot uh, of my free time is spent spent golfing. That helps. Yep. All right. This new thing that you've created, the Lensable Plus product, I see it on the homepage. Where'd you come up with that idea? How'd you know that was going to be the next big one? Uh, well, that's a very long story, but uh, you know, really, what I, I what I want to let everyone know about that is um, we've we've built an incredibly comprehensive vision care platform, which means we we sell all the products that one might buy at a physical store or might need for parts of their vision care, frames, lenses, contacts, um, soon to be eye health vitamins, uh, drops, accessories, that type of stuff. Um, we offer an online vision test. And, you know, we've had vision insurance for the business in the past. Um, personally, I've had plans that other, you know, I've gotten through corporations. But um, 
you know, those follow a very traditional model. There's a network of doctors, uh, plan is paid for either out of your paycheck or from an employer. Um, and the, those plans, and there are a couple dominant players in the space, and, and those plans are, uh, they're okay for some people, but for many individuals who wear contacts and glasses and have uh, some greater kind of vision care requirements, uh, those plans really become essentially glorified discount programs, or maybe not even glorified uh, discount programs that really lock you into a very narrow set of benefits. Um, and, you know, we kind of got to a point where we were looking at how do we make our very comprehensive offering that people come and purchase individually from us um, into something that was a little bit more, uh, you know, incentivized people to or made that people's lives easier by, by putting together packages, um, plans to really that, that, you know, could compete with or could be an alternative to what that traditional vision insurance plan looks like. Um, but, you know, we could make them far more transparent. We could make them far more comprehensive. Um, we could actually save tons of money out of pocket uh, because they really end up being pretty high out of pocket requirements through the traditional plans, even though you are paying for coverage. And what the traditional plans do is give you eye exams and discounts yeah, and on glasses, you, right? So you, I could see how you could do- in many cases required to pay a copay, and you have to do it at a very specified network of of doctors that are. Okay, so the the glasses part, I get. You got that wrapped up. You're just cutting back on your price on your profit per pair of glasses, per uh, pair of contacts, etc. That makes sense. But you're offering people to the ability to keep their favorite yeah, doctor. So, how are you? Yeah. How do you? Yeah, the, the you idea there is. Um, you know, if you see any doctor you want, if you need an eye exam, you need a contact fitting, uh, see any doctor you want, you are not locked in um, to a specified, right in the middle of the country, the closest optometrist oftentimes is not, you know, is not an accessible uh, or, or the, the closest network optometrist is not super accessible. So um, rather than inconvenience people by doing that, uh, we make available our online vision test, which not everyone wants or needs or qualifies for, but many do, um, or see any doctor you want, do any service you need at that doctor, you will be a cash payer to them. Um, but then we will reward you for that. And we will reward you in the... In the oh, you're not, not paying, paying for, for no, that. We're, you're... We're you, um, ah, that's it. You know, to, for having done that uh, in the form of a gift card that can be redeemed for cash uh, or credits to other, you know, other vendors that you buy things on the internet. Uh, we will be soon adding in a network, so provider locations that will give you a very, very large discount on those services that you can go into if you are a Lensable Plus member. Um, but really, Lensable Plus plans, for those that do not have a employer-based plan, um, really will you know are, are second to none in the comprehensiveness, so an annual supply of contacts, a frame with lenses, high-quality lenses a reward for seeing a doctor or an online vision test, deep discounts. There is, you know, and, and the ability to redeem all of these benefits online without having to go in store or in person is really the core differentiator. Um, and we definitely want everybody to check out Lensable Plus. So what it seems like you did was you said, we found a way, and I know yeah. that we're running a little bit late, so we're going to close this out in a moment. But what we what you did was you said, we need a subscription service. It looks like people are already buying this insurance and the insurance is not that great anyway. Why don't we have a subscription where people pay us monthly, they'll get discounts on our products and we can't replicate the, the doctors. But what we could do is just give them money or give them some of the money back that they're paying us in the form of gift cards, et cetera, and discounts. If they go see a doctor, you nailed it and now you've got your subscription. You said it as eloquently as I could have. All right, it's lensable.com for anyone who wants to go check it out. L-E-N-S-A-B-L.com. And if you throw in the E before the dot com, it'll well, still freaking work. 
And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. If you need to hire people, go check out vervo.com slash Mixergy. And when you're ready to get a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Andy, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone.